You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we come before you with uh, heavy hearts, but also with hearts of great hope, because you are the God of all comfort. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look in your word now, that you would take it and do in our hearts and lives what we can't do. Uh, left to ourselves, we sorrow with no hope, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, we still sorrow, but we sorrow with amazing hope. And so, God, we will open your word, and we will ask that you would do in this place through the power of your spirit what only you can do for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. And uh, while you're doing that, would you get your Bibles out and uh, open them up to uh, what is probably my favorite psalm? Uh, my life verses found in this psalm. It's been a, a real help through me and things I've gone through in my life. And I, I want to talk to you about a message today that I've entitled, God, my strength when life is hard. A God, my strength when life is hard. You know, it's easy to praise God when things are good, when everything's going along fine and all our ducks are in a row and everything's nice. But when it's hard, do we still choose to praise the Lord? And, uh, and maybe that's where you are in your life today. Maybe the circumstances of your life, not even around the things that are, are going on in the church right now and the heaviness of that, just uh, maybe the things going on in your life, in your family or your, your job situation or your, and, and life is just very difficult and you're kind of in that place. I would, I just like to give it, I, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Um, you just want to go home, curl up in a ball and say, that's it. I just need a break from all of this. Um, I think of the journey of your church right now. I was uh, sitting at home on Wednesday at about four o'clock or so in the afternoon, and uh, Pastor Daryl phoned me. And uh, here's the character of your pastor. He was supposed to be on a call with a bunch of the GCC pastors, just an update of things that were going on. And, and obviously, with all the things that were going on, he didn't make that call. He wasn't on the call, right? And uh, he phoned to let me know, Paul, I'm still in. I'm still with you guys. I'm still, but here's what's going on. And I couldn't. And I'm like, are you kidding? If you'd been on the phone call and I'd found out, I would, I would have come and killed you myself, right? It's just like, there's no way you should be on the call. And as we were talking, I, you know, I could sense in hearing the story, the weight of all of that. And, uh, and this weekend, I wasn't slated to preach anywhere. And uh, I just said, can I come and preach for you? Can I come and just get that off your plate? This is not about me. Please don't ever think this is about me. Um, and, you know, he hesitated because of the nature of the beast, because the message for this weekend was already prepared, and because God had already done that. And I said, it's not a case of is the message prepared. It's like, are you going to have anything left in the tank to be able to actually deliver the message for this weekend? I could come if you want. And, uh, and then so, you know, he thought about it, and I think he checked with some of the elders, but would you please come? And so here I am. Um, but I'm not, here, I'm not here to be the answer to what's going on. God is the answer to what's going on in your church. God is the answer to what the struggle is. But this psalm is a great psalm of, of encouragement and help and hope of a man who was going through it in a lot of ways like we go it, through it. And so God, my strength when life is hard comes right out of this psalm. And it's found in Psalm 73. Uh, let me read it to you. It's about a man. His name is Asaph. 
It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garland garment, that their eyes swell out through fatness, their heart overflows with follies, they scoff and speak with malice lawfully, they threaten oppression, they set their mouths against the heaven and their tongue struts through the earth, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and, and they say, how can God know, and is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked um, every morning. I have said I will speak thus. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How um, they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terror, like a dream. When one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. This is the uh, Psalm of Asaph. Asaph's one of the uh, writers of Psalms in the scriptures. And um, we learn a little bit about Asaph. You don't need to turn here necessarily, but in First uh, Chronicles chapter 16, it kind of tells a little bit of his story. And I just want to give you a bit of that background, verses four to seven. Then we'll jump right back into our other text. And here's what it says. Then he appointed some of the Levites, Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. And second to him was a bunch of guys who I can't say their names. And then in verse 7, and then on that day, uh, David first appointed um, that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Uh, so Asaph was a worship director. That's what he did for a living. Uh, one of the scriptures talk about how he played the cymbals, which means he was a drummer, which means some of you wouldn't even like him. And... Uh, um, <laughs> But uh, he writes this psalm about the experience in his life when it was hard, when it was difficult. And what he went through, I love it because of the honesty that's in his story. If we're honest with ourselves, is the honesty that should be in our story. And I just want to walk through the psalm today and try and help you. I trust it'll be an encouragement to you and a help for you as a church, you go through difficult things, but even in your own life as you go through difficult things. And so four things we want to see. Here's the first one. When life is hard, I don't forget God's goodness. When life is hard... I don't forget 
God's goodness. Um, Look at the uh, very first verse of, of Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Every, all the nations around, the Moabites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Babylonians, the, Syri- the Assyrians, the Philistines, they had all rejected God. They were all enemies of Israel. But the, but the thing that Asaph knew theologically was God was good. When everyone else was against him, God was good. When your circumstances are difficult, God is still good. Your pastor talked about God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's a foundational truth that we dare not lose when we go through the difficult times. It's easy to sing those praises when things are fine and everybody's happy and we're rejoicing together in the Lord. But when it's difficult, do we remember that God is good. I want to camp on this a little bit today and walk through a number of things that, that I've seen in God's goodness. But as we, as we look at it from, from Scripture and as Asaph thought about it, as he took stock about the truth of what that was, how had God been good to his people? Enemies are all around them. The circumstances are against them. How had God been good? Here's a few words. God was good to the people of Israel in quantity, in quantity, Uh, God uh, took care of Joseph in the Old Testament. He delivered them from Egypt. He took them into the promised land. He he, uh, conquered at at Jericho. And he knew all of those stories. And he knew that God had been good over and over and over and over again in their lives. And do you rejoice when it's difficult and think about how God has been good to you? Because over and over and over, he's been good. And he is good. And even in the difficult times, his character doesn't change. He is still a good God. And he's good to us in quantity. I am so thankful that after 70 times 7, God didn't say, that's it. You're done. Right? God's still good. Still a loving God. Still a caring God still a forgiving God. God is good to us in the quantity of things he's done. And Asaph, theologically, he got it. We're going to see his struggle, but, but he got it. He knew that God was good and that God had been good to them in, in quantity. Uh, God was good to them in quality. Take a look at some of the stuff in the Old Testament. Like, it's just good quality stuff. Like, how do you get better than the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, God gave those Ten Commandments for them, and you want some rules to live your life by and all the rest. Like, it's just summed up right there, and, and God gave it to them. And so he understood that. God was good not only in quantity, but in the quality of things that God had done. But he had seen that in other ways as well. He had known the story of Abraham and Isaac, and, and God says to Abraham, I want your son. And Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son. We see the picture of Christ in all of that as well. And, and, and this lesson that God taught, and, and God taught Abraham who was ready to take his son. But in Hebrews, we learn, Hebrews 11, that, that he believed God was going to provide. All of that. What, a, what an amazing lesson that God taught. Um, God was good in quality. What about a Caleb and Joshua going into the promised land and, and the spies and And God is so good in the lesson that he taught. These two men who were faithful, who came back and brought a report that we can go into the land, even though the other 10 said, no, we can't. And and, and, and God taught. What about, uh, here's one, what about uh, David and Nathan? Um, After David sinned with uh, Bathsheba. And um, Uriah has been sent back into the battle, who was 
uh, Bathsheba's husband, and David sets up the whole thing, and, and the troops pull back, and he dies, and David thinks he's got it all figured out now and everything's going to be okay. And, and then he goes to visit Nathan and Nathan tells him this story about the rich farmer and the poor farmer and, and the rich farmer wanted to have a banquet or a barbecue, if you want to call that today. And so, so he took and he went to the poor farmer's farm and took his animal and he made it for the barbecue. And, and David's indignation of the injustice is growing and growing and growing in that. And, 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 and then Nathan points his bony finger at David and says, you're that man. You're that man, right? And so as, as Asaph is thinking about God's goodness, he's, he's remembering the stories. He's remembering the things that have happened. He's, he's remembering God in the quality of, of the lessons that he's taught. And what are quality lessons God has taught you? Um, I remember a couple of quality lessons God taught me as I was uh, growing in ministry and developing in ministry. And, um, and, and one of those was um, God doesn't need you to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. What's awesome is that he uses us at all in the process, right? I had to learn that lesson. I learned that lesson through an accident that Sue had, and I was out of the loop taking care of her for a period of time. I, I was had a, I wouldn't call it really a hockey injury. I was playing hockey, but I'm not that good, and uh, ended my career when I went into the end boards, and ankle was busted, and screws, and plates, and you know any hopes of even looking like a hockey player were gone for me. And, uh, um, but what I learned from that in the work situation, because I was out of it for like 13 weeks, was people stepped up and it didn't fall apart. And humanly, I was a little disappointed, right? But I had to learn that, you know what? God can work in spite or with you or without you. And um, I had a heart attack two and a half years ago. And uh, again, I was reminded of that reality that um, God can work with you. He can also work without you. And uh, God's taught me some great lessons, some quality lessons. And so quantity and quality and look about the variety of ways God worked. At times God delivered his people. At times he delivered them over. At times he fed them. At times he led them. At times he shut the lion's mouth. At times he caused the sun to stand still. At, at times God worked through 300 men uh, with Gideon to take on a whole nation. Um, God did not always do what they wanted, but he always did what they needed. Um, and God will give you exactly what you need as a church right now. He won't necessarily give you what you want, because if the elders could have written the script, you wouldn't have gone through any of the stuff that the church has gone through in the last two weeks, right? We, we wouldn't choose to do that, but God chooses to lead us through it, and, and God is good in the variety and in the circumstances of your life, you know, we always hear people say, God will never give you anything that's too great uh, for you to handle. That's not true. God gives you stuff every day that's too great for you to handle. God will never give you anything too great that with his help, you can't handle, right? Because he will go with you. He will be your strength. And so God works in, in the sense of variety. God works in security. If there's ever a nation that you would think would be gone off the face of the earth, it would be God's people. And in those days, you think about Joseph and his brothers and Potiphar's wife, and then in prison. And, and at the end of it, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We have the Red Sea and Jericho and the conquest, the three men in the fire and the captivity. And God kept his people secure. Um, one more, God was good in duration. 
in duration. I take great hope in that, that God's faithfulness in my life over and over again in the wilderness for 40 years. You take the book of Judges and this cycle that goes on 12 times around where uh, they, they, they trust the Lord, then they put their trust in themselves, and then they walk away, and God restores them. And God's good in duration. And aren't you glad that in your life, God's good in duration? Right? Not only the number of times he's forgiven and restored, but he's not given up on you. Um, how many times have you screwed it up so bad? In your own mind, in your own thoughts, maybe not a moral failure, maybe not a, but you just haven't been in a good place, and yet God comes back, and God is good in duration. See, the psalmist starts off in the verse, believe me, I'm not going to take as long in every verse as I took in verse 1. There is hope here, okay. <laughs> But in verse 1, he says, truly God is good to Israel. Asaph couldn't even begin to understand the work of Jesus Christ. When we think about what God has given us, we, all of those things are true for us. But then we have the reality of the gospel. We have the reality of Christ has come. We have the reality that Christ paid a price that I couldn't pay, that Christ satisfied what God demanded, that my sin through faith in Christ alone was put on Christ, and uh, my sin was put on him, and his righteousness is put on me, and I stand before God because of faith in Christ. God is good. And if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ, don't lose that. Don't lose sight of all of the things that God has done. Don't lose sight of all of God's faithfulness. Hey, church, we live in a sinful world. And the consequences of sin in our world, they impact us as well. Um, but God is still faithful and God is still good. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have hope and hope of eternal life. I listened to the elders this morning. I listened to prayers before we came in here. And I, and I heard that and I heard over and over and over again, the hope that we have that God is faithful and God is good. And even though we can't figure it out and even though hearts are breaking, a God is good to us. Well, the God is good to you in the work of Jesus Christ and more than anything else. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I pray you will look around and you'll see a group of people who are sorrowing the sadness of what has gone on, but have great hope because of what Jesus Christ has done. And maybe that would be a thing that would draw you to trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That would be an awesome thing. When life is hard, I don't forget God's goodness. Here's the second thing, though. When life is hard... I don't lose focus. Asaph wasn't perfect at this, but take a look at what it says. Verse two, but. Theologically, he had verse one down. He understood it. But in the midst of the circumstances, but as for me, but as for me. And maybe that's where your struggle is today. It wouldn't be unreasonable. That was his struggle. But as for me, my feet had had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In the journey of his life, he was going through this thing, and, and he was looking at the world around him. He's going, how come the world's got it all made? How come they get it so easy? And how come it's so difficult for me? God, that's not fair. I don't understand it. And he struggled. And so if you struggle, you're no different than any other of the guys in the Bible. And you're no different than your pastor or your elders. You're, you're not, it's, it's, life is filled with that. And that can take us to a really good place 
which eventually it did for him, or it can put us in a very difficult place. Look, look what was going on um, in his life. Verse 2 and verse 3 and then the next verses. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My, my steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant. You ever look around you and see the people in the world and how come they get what they've got? How come they've got all that? And I'll tell you, one of the things you have a struggle with, you're this world-minded person at that point and you're only looking at this three score and 10. You're only looking at it and you've lost sight of what is coming and what God has for you. But, um, and I do it, I do it. But um, I was envious at the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any pains unto death. Their, their bodies are fat and sleek. Uh, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stri- stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, Pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through uh, fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice lawfully. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and they find no fault in him. And, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And so Asaph is taking a look at the world around him, and he kind of comes to the conclusion that good guys finish last. If I'm going to be faithful to God, obviously, I'm going to go through all this stuff, and I'm going to finish last. And and look at the world. Look at the world. They've got it all made. Everything is just aimed for them, and life is so good for them. And hey, don't let anybody ever tell you that sin isn't fun. Don't let anybody tell you sin isn't pleasurable. Don't let anybody tell you. It is. The Bible says it is. It says there's pleasure in sin for a season. Uh, there will be a, a reckoning. There will be a correcting. There will be a, but all of, he's looking around and he's seeing all that stuff they've got. And he goes, why can't I have all that stuff? Um, and he was struggling. And so as you think about God and his work, when life is hard, do you lose focus? Do you lose sight of what's going on? Do you watch this world that turns against God himself? Uh, look again at verse, verse 11, and, and they say, how can God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? The, the world questions the very existence of God. Duh, look at our world today and what we face against that. And, and the world, of course, the world uh, um, questions the existence of God because if the world has to accept the reality of God and his righteousness, their lives have to change. Um, but he's watching them around them and But God has shown himself and God has proven himself. And in his heart, Asaph knows this. He's seen God has shown himself in nature. God has shown himself through the prophets. For us, we see God has shown himself through Christ and his work and the rest of the word of God. And God has shown himself to us. Verse 13 says, And in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I love Asaph because he's so much like me. I know I'm not supposed to feel this way. I know it's not supposed to be like that. And so I'm going to be a good Christian and I'm going to fix this. And he tried. In vain, he tried. 
In vain have I tried to make it right. In vain have I tried to do the right things. In vain. Uh, He has an eye problem as you look at the next verses. All in vain I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked um, every morning. And If I had said I will speak thus, I um, would have betrayed the generation of your children. And when I thought how to understand it, it seemed a wearisome task. When you're going through the difficult time, when you lose the focus and your focus is on I, you're never coming to a good conclusion. You you can't get to a right place when you're the center of attention because guess what? You're not the answer to the struggle. The answer to the struggle is getting your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. The answer to the struggle is getting your eyes fixed back on the Lord, God who is good. And so this statement he started with, God is good. And then he goes, but I struggled, man. I got my eyes off of that. And it was difficult. It was so wearisome for me, he says. But then we see this desire that comes from a right focus as God is working in his heart. Look what happens in verse 16. There's another but here in the text. So there's the but in verse two that kind of takes him down a bad path. And there's another one in verse 16, which kind of gets him right on the right track again. But... When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Whatever you're going through, whatever's got you in the eye, I can't do this anymore. It's too much for me. It's too much for you. You got got an eye problem. Um, Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Uh, When was the last time you went to the sanctuary of God? When you were going through the difficult thing, when you were going through the hardship, did you go to the sanctuary of God? Now, there's a picture, obviously, in the Old Testament of of going to the temple and all the rest, but um, when did you, when was the last time you got on your face before God and cried out to Him for the things that are difficult in your life, the things that are difficult in your walk? And Asaph went to God is, from God is good to Israel to my life stinks and I don't like it to until I went to the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. Because you will not understand the difficulty of your life until you lean in on the working of God and the power of his spirit and the truth of his word until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I understood Then I understood. Well, what did he understand? Well, look at verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Um, He understood what was going to happen with the world. He understood that that system doesn't work, that it falls apart and fails. But then we're going to see in just a few minutes what, what he took and where he put his focus and how God worked through that and how God moved through that and desire... Desire comes from a right focus, a right focus. You know, you don't get to a bad place in your spiritual walk in big steps. It doesn't happen like that. It happens in little steps, little compromises, little things you do, little things that happen. And then one day, someone's like, what happened to you? But it typically is not like one decision and it's all over. 
There's things you're not guarded in anymore. There's things you start to do. You, you, you're not spending time in the word. You don't spend time in prayer. You don't have an accountability partner. You don't have, and, and then little things start to happen and, and you find yourself like this. That's what happened to Asaph. I started looking around him, started to see all the things. And, and then he goes to the sanctuary of God. The correction is always like, boom. Um, you don't walk back in little steps. God, God brings us to the place of brokenness and understanding, and we get right with him. And Look at verses uh, 24 and 25. Here's what it says. Um, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Um, who do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. You counsel me with guidance, with a word, with godly, godly counsel. Um, he asks the question in verse 25, who do I have in heaven but you? You know, when I'm right with the Lord, like that's, I, I get that right? Um, who do I have in heaven? You. Um, yeah, like, thanks, Captain Obvious. Who else do we have in heaven but God, right? So, so without making a mockery of what he said, but who do I have in heaven in you? But there, here's the next person. And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I don't have a big problem with the first half of the verse. I got a big struggle with the second half of the verse. Because although theologically, I know the first half of the verse is true, right? So often in the way I live my life, so often in the way we react to things, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nothing on earth gets the priority over you, God. Can you say that? Can you say that today? Does your job get the priority over God? Does your education get the priority over God? Um, does your spouse get the priority over God? Do relationships that you find yourself in, do they get the priority of God? There's nothing that I desire besides you. God is the first priority in the obedient believer's walk, and he needs to be that in my life. My, Sue's not my first priority. Now, I demonstrate, in failure, I demonstrate that in failure lots of times, but I'm talking about in, in the priority of my life, my, my priority is not to please my wife. My priority is to please my God. And in doing that, that will get taken care of for sure, right? Who do I have in heaven but you, there's nothing on earth I desire beside you. And so if you're a follower of Christ and that's not true in your life today, you're like, you know, God really feels a long way away today. Here's the question I would ask you. Who moved? Who moved? As you go through these difficult days, you get your eyes off the Lord. God is still there. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Who moved? And when you get your eyes fixed back on God, who is the, God is good to Israel. God is good to me. I'm going to get my eyes fixed on the Lord. No matter how difficult it is, no matter who else does or doesn't, I'm going to get my eyes fixed on the Lord because who moved? Who moved? And if your eyes are off of the Lord and you've walked, that, that's as close in a correction as, Lord, get on, get on your face before the Lord in confession and making it right and, and starting back into that journey that honors the Lord in your walk. And who moved? When life is hard, I don't forget God's goodness. When life is hard, I don't lose focus. But it wasn't easy for Asaph. He struggled with it. 
but he got it right. Here's the, here's the next one. When life is hard, I trust God's design. When life is hard, I'm going to trust God's design. This is uh, my life verse comes out of these verses. If uh, you want to have it as your life verse, I guess you can, but, um, but it's mine. And uh, here's what he says. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, because it's my verse, I, I change it a little bit as I apply it to myself, right? Because in the verse he says, um, my flesh and my heart may fail. I just like scratch the word may out because I just know how fail prone I am. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want you to see in this a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see in this verse how Satan works in your life and uh, how he tries to get at you. There's the, there's the frailty of our flesh and there's the flourishing of our faith. We'll see you, but, but notice the way it works. My flesh and then my heart. Notice when, when Satan wants to get at you, uh, it starts on the outside. Starts through the eyes, through the ears, through the nose, through the mouth. All these things, the outside influences all around us. We see it. He did. He looked around him. He saw all these things. And my flesh fails. And then my heart gets to a bad place. My heart gets to a bad place. Um, that's your story. That's my story. Uh, my flesh fails. And then my heart. And then there's another but. But God is the strength of my heart. I love it that God starts the fixing part, not with the externals. God starts the fixing part and does the fixing part in our heart. But God is the strength of my heart. And when we need to get right with the Lord, it's not like, it's not like when I was a kid going to church, like, um, it was almost like if you wanted to be a believer, you had to get your hair cut first. You had to do certain things, and then you could trust Jesus as your Savior right? Which is, if you didn't notice that, if that's what you, that's called work salvation. You do certain things, now you'll be ready to be accepted by Jesus, right? Jesus takes us in the mess we are and then fixes the mess, right? That's what God does. And so if you're looking for people to perfect before they come to Christ, why would they need to come to Christ? If they got it all figured out, they don't need Jesus Christ. And so Christ starts that work in our heart. What's true for us as believers, as we're, we're wrestling with things in our heart and, and he tried to look at all the outside things and go, I don't like these things, I don't like these things. I tried to fix those on my own, but it was too wearisome for me until I went to the sanctuary of God, until I allowed God to do the work in my heart. What's the work God needs to do in your heart today? What's the transformation that needs to happen inside? Forget about the outside till God has transformed your heart. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, yeah, but I don't feel it. That's external. It's all, that's your own. You do the heart work. You do those things that are right, and God will bring the feelings along down the road somewhere. You do the right things, and God will honor that in your life. And, and so I think of just the journey of your church and the pain that's going on, and it's so easy to go, it's too hard for us, it's too much for us, and it is too much for us. So allow God to do the heart work in us and believe the truth of God's word. Believe the hope that comes from the word of God and the work of God and the spirit of God in us and allow God to do that work in our lives. 
That's the way God works. That's God's design. God's design is not for you to clean yourself up and come to God. God's design is for you to come to him in the mess you're in. If you're not saved, you come to him in the mess you're in today and trust Jesus Christ and be saved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift from God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you're struggling in sin today, if you're struggling with doubt today, you're struggling with, then get your eyes fixed back on the heart issue and on the truth of God's word and allow him to do that work in your heart. Not, I guess I'm not supposed to feel this way, so I'm gonna try harder. Asaph tried, it didn't work for him, it won't work for you. Um, I trust God's design. And here's the last thing. When life is hard, I will not give up. When life is hard, I will not give up. Look at verses 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful. But, another one of those. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. In the earlier verses, these people who are now described in verse 27 are victorious and winning and all the rest. And now he's at the, for behold, those who are far from you, they're going to perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But then there's this verse. I love this verse. But as for me, but as for me. Remember he said that before? In verse 2 he said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. And now he says it again. But as for me, it's good to be near God. But as for me, it's good to be near God. Are you saying that today? In the difficult time, in the situation of your church, yes, but in the situation of your life, because this situation will move and another situation will come, and will you say, but as for me, it's good to be near God. That's where, I'm gonna, that's where I'm putting all my chips. That's where I'm putting it all down right there. I'm putting it all down because it's good to be near God. But as for me, it's, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. He's his hiding place. He's a source of strength. He may, and then look what comes out of that, that I may tell of all of your works. That I may tell God what you're doing that I may be a testament to what God has, has done and is doing and is faithful to and is. We go through times in our lives and difficult seasons when we need to get back to God, my strength, when life is hard. And so when life is hard, I'm not going to forget the goodness of God. I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. I'm going to, even when it's hard, I'm going to discipline myself to go back and remember and remember. When life is hard, I'm not going to lose focus. I'm not getting my eyes onto the world and all those things that it offers that are just for a season. I'm going to get my eyes fixed on the Lord until I went to the sanctuary of God. When life is hard, I'm going to trust God's design. I'm going to get my heart right, and I'm going to deal with the inner part first. I'm going to serve the Lord with my whole heart. I'm going to trust God's design. And when life is hard, I'm not giving up. I'm not packing it in. It's, it is too much for you, but it's not too much for you with God's help for you to move forward through and be strengthened through and whatever it is for God to bring you to a place of restoration and health and hope. <laughs> 
Well, so what? So what? What's your journey in the battle today? What's your battle? What's your struggle? What's your pain? When life is hard, will God be your strength? Will he be your hope? Will be he, he'll be your helper. One moment at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this psalm and, and this psalmist. Asaph has, has been such a blessing in my own life, Lord. He was dealing with the world around him and seeing and seeing how the bright lights look so good and, and all the rest. And yet, Lord, you took care of him and the things that he knew as the foundations, you brought those back and you used those in his life. But Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we know our flesh and our heart, it fails. But you, God, you, God, are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. So Lord, I pray that in this church, in these difficult days, you would be their help and their strength. And when life is hard, we would lean in because God, you are our only hope. In the difficulties in families and situations and personal decisions and sin that may be abounding in someone's life, Lord, you would bring them to the place of brokenness and seeing until I go to the sanctuary of God and then I understand and you would restore them and and guide them and bring them back, Lord, and use them for your fame. God, we can't do it. It's too much for us, but it's not too much for you. So God, would you please, please, God, would you do this work in my life, in our lives, For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.